0: Hey, No Presidium fans, no one else in here bringing you the latest episode of our podcast about immersive and interactive theater and all that other good stuff. Um, kind of a lengthy episode today. Uh, we're going to get into the description in a second, uh, right after I do the news. Uh, just so you know, we go in pretty deep with Annie Lesser, the writer and creator of Getting to Know You at the Hollywood Fringe Festival. Um, my gut tells me that this is a great piece, uh, if you've seen the show, um, you, are going to get some behind the scenes stuff and really get into Annie's process. It's, it's also a good piece if you're uh, a creative and you're, you're looking to kind of dig into some of the options you have in terms of writing and devising this work. Um, we don't do too much on the theory though. We don't, we don't talk about a lot of other, uh, shows uh, it's, it's about 55 minutes worth of just like digging in pretty deep. So if you haven't seen the show, um, you might get a little lost. Uh, I'm just going to cop to that right up front, but if you have seen the show, and I know some of you have, uh, I think you're going to really dig on this and I'll uh, probably tell the people I know have seen the show that, uh, they want to check this one out. And I know there's a couple of fans, uh, who I met at the show uh, who I think are going to uh, dig on aspects of this, so uh, and and that that is in no way to say that I don't think the world of Annie. I do. Uh, th- this one's just kind of wonky. Uh, I'll cop to that, uh, and you know that's that's on me. Uh, I'll admit it right there. All right, the news, and then I'll do the proper setup. So. Uh, Let me just kind of glance through as I fly through the laptop. Those are keys you're hearing. Uh, Let's glance through and see what's up. Uh, You know, up in the Bay Area, West Edge Operas Festival is opening up on the 25th. So you got a little bit of time there. Right now, 95 Rituals is going on at the Hyde Street Pier. uh, Looking at Zay's work in New York. Uh, He had a nice essay in uh, as the opening of this week's issue, uh, july 2015 part one definitely worth reading uh zay's really absorbed uh, michael Tara garber's uh, open frame thinking and it's my hope zay's going to be here for a couple of weeks my hope uh he and i are going to sit down for an episode and, and talk about a lot of stuff and that's going to be one of those things uh opening up there uh, there's the fairy play uh is uh, a site-specific uh, sensory experience of a pod play For the Staten Island Ferry, involves an MP3 file. So this is a little electronically set up one. And uh, Seawife at the Melville Gallery on South Street, Seaport, um, through July 19th. Those are the two new ones in the latest. Uh, Right here in Los Angeles, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, there's an encore performance of the Hamlet Mobile. Uh, It is the uh, 10th, 11th, and 17th. Uh, over at the Encores, uh, at the Bootleg Theater, the Encores of the Hollywood Fringe Festival. Uh, The Stronger's running right now. Look for some more dates in August to be announced soon. Scare LA is coming up in August. The Labyrinth Masquerade is coming up in August. Uh, Object Lesson just got announced at the Kirk Douglas Theater. That's an installation piece. They're going to turn the uh, theater into kind of a warehouse space and it's storytelling with objects. I'm really intrigued by this one. And uh, I'm going to check out Broken Bone Bathtub. It's a solo piece uh, involving uh, a performer who has broken bones and is uh, trying to take a bath. Uh, I don't know anything else about it, really. Um, Just just what I've read so far. Um, All signs point to me checking that out this weekend. Uh, You know, there's a good chance there'll be a review. Uh, You know where to find that. Uh, but I'll remind you at the end of the show. Okay, uh, this has been a long intro so far. Uh, this is a long piece. so um, And Annie's going to do uh, the elevator pitch for the show. So, you know, let's just cut to the chase. Here we go. This is uh, the latest episode of No Persinium. I think it's episode 11. I've lost track. Uh, you'll know it by what's on the tin. Uh, and I'll see you once we're all done. All right, so uh, for the sake of everyone, we uh, always do it this way. So uh, you guys know my voice and with me. Is
1: Annie Lesser,
0: who is the uh, writer and creator of a piece called "Getting to Know You," which I had the pleasure of seeing at this year's Hollywood Fringe Festival. And Annie, um, why don't you why don't you give like the the elevator pitch uh, of the show? Um, explain it for the kids who didn't get to see
1: it. Yeah, the way that I see it is it's a it's set up where. There are eight audience members and eight actors. Each audience member sits in a different part of the theater. And we kind of set it up speed dating style where every three minutes the actors shift which audience member they're talking to. What it is from each actor's point of view is um, they're treating each audience member like the same person just at the next step in a relationship. So what each audience member sees is eight different characters with each character treating them at a different level of intimacy of knowing them.
0: What got you interested in doing a piece that was so interactive? Cause I know this is your first time playing, yeah. playing this sort of headspace here.
1: Well, it's my first time playing this sort of headspace like all by myself. Um, but when I was at NYU, I, Did with uh len jenkin uh a workshop called um uh called uh something circus uh i'm like blanking on the name um she's
0: uh, trying really hard to you see the look on her face
1: (laughs) (laughs) um uh sheesh kabibble um trying to remember this name I
0: uh, we well, did a workshop.
1: So yeah, we doing, did a I workshop do, I don't, I don't we that. did a workshop kind of examining um different ways of theatricality and so like looking at amusement parks or neighborhoods or audio as theater and, or like and, and like Vegas itself the way the city is set up as theater mm. and I um got to go I went to spend a day kind of examining just the neighborhood of Coney Island as theater and Brandon Beach as theater. And um, so at the end of that class, we all collaboratively created a um, interactive walkthrough adaptation of the big sleep where it was kind of just, I was in charge of one room or one space of that with uh, one other student. And I came up kind of with the idea of creating the, the room where the murder happened and we created the half of the space where um you know uh Philip Marlowe had met her before she died and versus you know being in the space after she died and I kind of made the entire space into a mirror image of each other Mm. where um we had an actress who was alive and kind of weird on one side and then the other side there was the the body outline and on one side there was a fish tank full of living fish and the other side there was a fish tank full of dead things and we kind of created that space and it was much more of a walk through though you kind of walked through it there there were things going on in each room that also all of my collaborators um, who were in the workshop with me, did as well. Um, and we did that for one night, and people came in in groups of about um, like seven, and we cycled through maybe like six to eight groups of people. So that was a one-night thing that we did. Um, but also around the same time I was taking this uh, workshop, I went to a show called um, – Hotel Savoy that was originally done in Germany and they had it then at the Goethe Institute um, in New York and it was uh, it was an immersive theater piece where people went in one at a time and uh, you went through kind of this hotel alone the only time you ever saw another audience member is you passed someone going to one room while you were leaving it at one point, and that was the only time you ever saw any other audience members, um, except for I guess there's kind of an interaction in that um, there's w- one point at the end where someone asks you a question and they're recording you. And when you leave, um, you can hear previous participants' recordings. Hmm. So that's your only interaction. But um, when I was there, there's a part where I'm in like the um, – the break room for the employees and i just was talking to someone who's kind of um not a bellboy, but um one of the people that like assists there maybe like a roomster maybe room- the concierge yeah, or- yeah, yeah yeah something like that there um and we're just talking and chit-chatting and when we were talking and chit-chatting there's just like you know I had a moment of just really connecting with them. And when I was on the train back home, I just couldn't help but feel like there's something I wanted to add to that conversation. And I really like that feeling of fleeting and that you can't go back and change something. Um, And I really wanted to create that emotional, um, you know, feeling of, Loss because something actually wasn't real even though it felt real in someone if you get what that's i'm saying
0: yeah no like this this sense that that you've had a moment with yeah. someone and that kind of like strangers meeting and then you know never crossing paths again yeah. like you, you can't you can't go back and that's mm-hmm. something that definitely I think a lot of people in the immersive space, when you have actor interactions, um, you get that sense. Like I remember I seeing then she fell, and one of the Alice's like.
1: I love that
0: she fell. Yeah, it's I, love, <laughs> yeah. I love that. You can, and it's funny. I know there's there's a whole line there, but um, one of the Alice's like caught. After we had had uh, the, one of the more private interactions in a later scene, she like caught my eye in a in a mirror reflection and mm-hmm. like winked at me, and I was like, "Whoa," you know. It was like it was sort of fascinating, like like a shared secret had had passed between us, and that's something that, you know, completely exists in the fiction of that that world, uh, but. Because it's happened between you and someone else, it's also real. It's it's this sort of third thing. It's not it's not completely fictitious, and yet at the same time, it is absolutely not real. It, it exists in a sort of virtual space.
1: Yeah, and also it's so interesting too. Like with the internet these days, like you can look up those actors and find out who they are as real people versus the characters they played. Um, which is really fascinating. And I also um, just want to note that, like, in, in my show, um, there's um, my actress, Dashra Kittredge. She um, she plays, like, Russian, like, kind of pathological, delusional disorder type person who's, like, kind of connors, But she's also very flirtatious, and she's very forward. And... Um, two different people who were audience members in the show had, like, ex-Russian girlfriends who, like, <laughs> treated her them the same way. And, like, it's so funny that both of them, like, wanted to just talk to me about how Dasha's just like... But it's not Dasha. It's the character. But they the want to talk to me about how Dasha's just like their ex-girlfriend. And even when they came back, uh, like one of them saw me at Fringe Central, is talking to Dash, and all I want to tell Dash is how much she's exactly like <laughs> his ex girlfriend, and it's like no, that's that's her character, but it's really fun and it's like funny because yeah. like, I like some of the flirtatious stuff, I like I wrote out like you know paragraphs of like suggested come ons and things like that, and I mean she obviously used her own for some of the stuff because it's partially improvised to allow audience to push it along but it's it's really funny though and also like I personally sometimes if I have a moment with someone in a show it's like really interesting to look up who they are that in real life because you can just google it so easily but some people obviously like don't do that or they do do that or I don't I don't know how different people approach it but you like kind of get obsessed with like what the other side of that that person is like, who's the person? Like, I found out that 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 the person who was like the person that worked at the hotel I saw in Hotel Savoy is like, you know, a painter in Brooklyn. I'm like, that's not though his character. It's not. It's so not real. Well, that
0: reminds me. Like, um, I I I managed to run the whole gauntlet at Hamlet Mobile, which mm-hmm. was also at the Fringe. We did an episode about that. For those of you guys who want to go back, a uh, short episode. And uh, the last night. Was um, it was uh, the piece called Interior Kitchen Night, and it centers around the to be or not to be speech. And uh, I had this wonderful moment with Lizzie, who plays uh, Gertrude through most of it, and she she gets the speech in uh, in this particular scene. And then afterwards, um, the producer was bringing me back to the van because I was the first person to to make the gauntlet, so I got a bumper sticker out of it, uh, which was. Which is cool. And like Lizzie was coming back along and she was like, oh no, like, I feel like we had a, I feel like we should talk or something like that. Because we had this like really wonderful moment in the scene and, and there's something about, I don't know, like making it profane by then like talking with our masks off. Mm -hmm. Right. Like so much of this reminds me of the mask work I did in college uh, where we were, like, heavily taught to, like, respect the mask and, like, when you put the mask on and, like, you're turning your back before you take your mask uh, off or put it on in front of an audience because there's there's this power there and, and I think there's these powers in the, in the encounter. So, I mean, I, I get it, too. Like, there, there gets to be a curiosity of, like, who is that person, you know? but But they're not. They're not yeah. the character. They're not... They're, I, they're not that at all.
1: Yeah. What I think is interesting is um, for my show, I really like to encourage people after the show because each audience member only gets a snippet of each of the – each audience member only gets like a very direct snippet of uh, the the entire storyline for right. each of the characters that comes along. So when that happens um, – sorry. Sorry. <laughs> You're me editing this. No, no,
0: we just we just go straight forward, but
1: okay. Um, sorry. But yeah, but everyone no, gets everyone yeah. only gets a snippet yeah. of uh, each um, of the storylines. Yeah. So I encourage people afterwards to go to each other and talk to each other about it to kind of discover more. Um, but it seems like every audience member would rather just ask all the actors, you know, about their experiences. And the actors are fine with that. And it's, like, very interesting that they're able to have this emotional experience one moment with the characters. And then talk, like, so, so like, have a completely different experience asking the actors about their characters' arcs. So the ac- actors are very straightforward about it in such a, I feel like clinical, like this is how we did this way and in very enthusiastic way that it's able to work like that. But parts of me sometimes wonder if, you know, I shouldn't let that happen. But at the same time, just seeing um, what the actors get out of hearing what each audience member reacted to, I think that that's even, you know, just something that's so insightful for them as people, like Mm -hmm. seeing the effect of this experience.
0: One of the things I thought... Was interesting was was that you, you I think of it as like this pie,
1: yeah. and like
0: you're, you're getting one slice of pie out of like eight different pies. Yeah, you know, and so you've got all you got eight different pies you get to sample, and you're getting you're getting a different slice. But but when you were thinking about the structure, um, uh, were you playing with ideas about what the the audience's own arc was going to be, or were you? Were you thinking strictly in terms of, you know, you're hitting these beats with these characters? Because I was always trying to figure out, my experience at first was like, oh, am I am I one person? Am I getting to know who I am? And then it was like, no, 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 I'm clearly different people because sometimes mm-hmm. I was gendered male, sometimes I was gendered female. Yeah,
1: which was something that it's like really funny that I, that that gendered male, gendered female thing um, was something that kind of came in later as uh, we were finalizing the beats and I was finalizing the scripts um, because what what happened was is that I kept asking the actors to try and treat it as gender neutral and it was really difficult for them to make it gender neutral. And I, I like, they, when they inhabit their... Act, their characters really had to view it as you know with a very specific person they couldn't have the person that they were talking to be ambiguous and have the full mm. range of emotion behind it so we ended up deciding to make it a lot less gender ambiguous and I think that that um I'm still trying to decide if that was a good idea or not, but I definitely felt like gave the actors a stronger performance. Yeah.
0: Well, I know like if that gave me a clue that I was different people. Yeah. and I think like, I think I would have gotten just really confused, confused if as, it weren't. Yeah, I would have thought like, oh, I'm this one person who has all these different because like, you know one if, you know, in an immersive and in interactive, part of it's a puzzle.
1: Yeah. And
0: so you start, you start pattern matching. Yeah. And so right off the bat, I was like, okay, so in this one, I'm, I'm clearly, I'm I'm working at an art gallery and that one, okay, I'm doing this. Well, how are those related to, and then I was like, oh, do they, these characters know each other? It was only at the end that I realized it was just thematically everyone was linked and there wasn't any narrative ties, but.
1: Well, yeah, so. But the gender
0: definitely helped.
1: It helped. Yeah. Okay, so that's, that's good to know because I'm trying to find a way to put it back up again in the fall. We might be recasting some people. We might not. It just depends on people's availability and, you know, how people feel about the project at this point. Um, but there's, so what, when I first approached it, I the way that I saw it for an audience member is them to speed through not only meeting people, but speed through levels of intimacy um, the of like how comfortable people are with what information they share as they get to the root of what's most honest about what is driving their relationship with someone else. Mm. Um, so, I really so that
0: means like each of the beats that the characters go through are to de- defined almost like by a station yeah
1: a station of like where they are at in their realization of the meaning of this relationship to them to like where it reaches their understanding like because I feel like relationships with other people you know sometimes they're just plain old destructive sometimes they're like beneficial to both parties sometimes you know it's it's different, but there is something inside you that is feeding yourself to be part of that relationship. And as the relationship goes along, you understand that more. And you understand that through conflict, and you understand that through conflict resolution, and you understand that through discovery. Um, and so I tried to kind of focus on relationships where that would evolve through conflict and discussion with each other and kind of explore those beats of conflict and discussion with each other so that like as that that would kind of come about which is why I kind of rooted them in kind of those in the program where um, I kind of put people as their fears because I let the actors choose their character names because part of our Indiegogo was then an audience member. If they paid and they wanted to, they could name a character. No one did that. So I let all the actors <laughs> choose their character names. Um, which was great because it was a collaborative process creating the characters with the actors. I worked one-on-one before I wrote the scripts with the actors for a month and a half designing the characters for them. Mm. Um, but there... It was like one of the. Well,
0: talk, walk me through that, that process a bit, because I think that's one of the things that I'm I'm most interested in here. Yeah, is is how much was written, how much was devised when yeah. when you when you walked in, knowing that you were working on this idea of relationships. Were you, know, were you then aware that you were going to work people through a very specific? Set of steps, or did that? Come yeah, no,
1: out? no. I knew that I was gonna put people through specific sets of steps, and that's kind of how I approach creating the characters. When I was casting, I met with probably about 30, it was a really intensive casting uh, process for me. I talked to about 30 different actors and improvisers, and for each of them, I sat down. I let them know that it was probably going to be an at least a 20-minute conversation when I met with each of them. And we just sat down. They sent me ahead of time their resume and their reel if they had one um, or video of them doing some, some type of performance. And then after that, um, they told me about their history and performance. I told them about my history. We related back to what my experiences were to them, and then I had a set of questions that I asked every single actor um, to be prepared to answer when they came to talk to me, and the first question is, what are up to three characters, but at least one character that when you played it, you going into rehearsal every single day and every single performance could feel Excitement and joy bursting from the pores of your skin and why did you feel like that? The second question um, was, what what do you get typecast as and what parts of that are you sick of being typecast as? And the third question was, what is a character you've always wanted to play but never been given the opportunity to play and why? And so they'd answer those questions. I'd sit there and I'd process their answers for about three minutes. I'd go up and I'd grab a glass of water. I'd take a couple sips. I'd sit down. And then I'd just look at them and I'd say, this is what comes to me. And I'd pitch a character. Every single time the first character I pitched, the actors I was talking to was like, that's exactly what I've been meaning to play. And I'm like, yes. And so I kind of based on I'm sure they're
0: just not well trained to so say maybe that. Maybe they're well
1: trained to say that. Maybe they, I've always uh,
0: wanted to play a robot dog who could yeah,
1: they could they could, always, they could be saying that. But yeah. I feel like also this is the type of project where I can I could tell when people were trepidatious necessarily about mm. taking on the project. Um and who was really excited. Like there was one person who talked to me for literally Two hours, and it was heartbreaking when I found out that his schedule couldn't fit in doing this show. Because I mm. re- we talked for two hours, and he was so excited, and I was so excited. And the character, he's like, this fits perfectly because my wife and I actually are trying to have a baby. Because the character I came up for him was ha- trying to. He's like, I don't know how you sense that. Like oh. it's one of those things. I was like, okay. And, we talked for two hours and it was just heartbreaking when um, he couldn't do the show, but uh, like there, I, I literally, you know, just took the people who a seemed the most excited, which a lot of people seemed really excited about the show and B I felt like it created a diverse portfolio of characters yep. by the people that I was going to work with.
0: So you got the cast together, you, you, you picked out you figured out the characters Mm -hmm. then and there
1: and then and then from there though i talked to each cast member on the phone i talked over email we met in person like i talked to each cast member at least three times um kind of in depth about their character kind of i really honed in on them on trying to figure out what their characters were afraid of that were driving the flaws in them as people and what type of person they could possibly meet, which would be the audience member that would drive that out of them. So mm. with um, Jesse Goller's character, who was a functional alcoholic, who worked at a music tech startup. Um,
0: I remember that Yeah, guy. he,
1: he, he, uh, he like owned and founded... Um, our basic he, – he's, like – he's like. when I was talking to him, he was saying how he really wants to play a character that's further along in his career than he personally currently is, who has a family and has stability. And I was – and but he talked to me about some other things, about, like, you know – kind of wanting to try and play a villain at some point, like that that was the type of character that he got really excited about. Like when he was saying characters, he got excited about playing. And I kind of was just like, like grounded, functional alcoholic. Like, what do you think He's like, that sounds like really compelling. And we talked about it. And I was saying how, you know, someone who has their shit together um, really could easily be someone and also a lot of the fears I base these on with the characters are based on fears personally in my own life but like you know every time I do something successful and it does well I'm scared that that's what I've peaked at and I'm not going to have any other ideas that are as good especially when I get writer's block. Um, I'll like start to look at all of my successes. I'll be like, I peaked in high school when I was like a national merit poet. Nothing's gonna be as good or something like that. Um, And so I kind of was like, I could easily see someone being driven to alcoholism by their fear that they are not, good enough and they're not going to leave their mark on the world or what they've done is all that they can do and they're just going to be unable to attain that and we kind of worked with that Mm. and talked about like you know trying to live vicariously through an intern trying to like put off the fact that they have no new ideas for the company and Put all their hopes into someone younger than them, and that's kind of how we started with that plot mm-hmm. line.
0: And that's the thing that that I find maybe the most interesting about it is is how do you define, how do you how do you work to get to define the the character who isn't there? Because the audience member, yeah, in an improvisational sense, you're endowing the audience member with these characteristics. And what's funny is like the the performers walking up kind of with a fully realized character in their head mm-hmm. and so how do you build how do you build that sort of puzzle piece shape like yeah like how do you get that to exist what's what was what was your trick there well, what were you trying to get people to, to clue into
1: well I was just trying to get them to see kind of the conflict and it kind of came with how I've structured the scripts which, were basically a paragraph of context for the scene and a paragraph like a, a paragraph of context what the motions were going into the scene what you wanted out of the other characters so you have that driving force of like what you want from this other person mm. and then a paragraph of suggested dialogue and then i worked with the actors improvising off of each other To be able to establish who, what, where as fast as possible for the audience member. And that was like the real thing. And, you know, some people were really good at it right off the bat. Some people weren't as good. But that was our real focus kind of in rehearsal is practicing improvising off of each other and also when I brought in practice audience members, cause I did three trial runs with practice audience members, giving the actors notes afterwards. Um, and I made sure like every time we asked, like, did you know who, what, where, did you know who, what, where, did you know? And the debate as to, you know, what else they could have done to kind of add, add to that context for the audience member. Um, so because of that, um, you know, that's, that's kind of just the process we had, I guess. I, do, I don't know how to answer that any better unless you have a more specific question.
0: No, I mean, like... I mean, I guess what's interesting to me is... You know, I, I've got improv training uh, from back in the day, and so the idea of being endowed with a character... Uh, and then you you know you go and you justify that endowment through you, your actions. like it's sort of hardwired into me. so like when when they were saying things like, you know, um, I'm thinking the first one I had, which was you know, like saying uh, you you're here for the job, like you know like yeah. what what you know like what what are your qualifications? And I just start like rambling stuff off because, you know, I, mm-hmm. like I haven't been in an improv scene before, but i I know you've got audience members who aren't going to have had that training necessarily. I mean, in a fringe festival, you're more likely yeah. to than not, but, um, just that, I guess that kind of concern of like, you know, what were the tricks, what were the things that you, you locked into to give to, because, and because each, each time you jumped, played musical chairs, you got an entirely new character. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, the, that, that emphasis of, of, a, a, of uh, putting down like where you were, who you were, what was going on, like the, the core, the nut of it. Um, and then establishing that early on, but then like sort of revealing the heart of the conflict because this entire time you've got, you've almost got this thing where people are, are, are I guess there's lucky in that there's the, the the core dramatic irony of like someone has something to say, but they don't want to say it directly. So they're trying to find another way to like get around it. Mm -hmm. And because you're talking to someone who has no clue, you're almost forced to like, you know, kind of walk on either side of the main thing. Just to start painting the picture as you go.
1: Well, I mean, when we rehearsed and had people practice improvising off of people, like we had... I, like some of the actors would intentionally just not say anything. And so the actors had practice, practice talking against people who were not responding to them and they had practice also talking to people who were obviously trying to divert the scene. like you know some people would come in and just shut it down and put their try and put their own spin on it. And so they had practice doing that. Did you run
0: into a lot of that in the actual show? Either of those?
1: Um, We had like two or three audience members who were just stone-faced or like not stone-faced but there was one girl who came in and she just smiled and nodded with every single person and she just smiled and nodded just every single actor that came up to her and I was just positive she hated it especially because she didn't stay to meet other audience members afterwards, but I met her and she was saying, no, me and my friend who I went with, we went and we just talked about it. I was like, then why didn't you say hi when we all came to Fringe Central? And then she was like, she's like, because we were having our own conversation. I was like, okay, good. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that. I thought you didn't like it. And she's like, no, it was great. I'm like, awesome. But so I guess each audience member experiences it in their own way, which is part of the project is that they are supposed to experience it. They're taking away whatever they want to take away emotionally from it. And that's the intent of it is to create an emotional reaction and for you to take that away and talk about it and discuss it and analyze it. And that's that's the hope. And so... I'm glad it happened, even with someone who did not actively interact. And also, um, one of the people who did not actively interact was uh, one of the reviewers who came. And he obviously loved it because he wrote a very good review. Um, and But he, like, literally was just sitting there looking at the actors writing notes as they performed at him.
0: I'll ask you later who it was, but I've got a good idea. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, well, and it's funny because, like, I mean... Yeah. It uh, anyway. Anyway, we'll we'll talk about that offline. Um. I'm, oh God. So what? want to ask right now. I'm not going to ask. Right now. Do not say. I'm not going, don't going to. Good. I'm not
1: going to. Um. But it's like one of those things. And also, like. But
0: did anyone try and detour? Like, um.
1: We had that happen a couple times in rehearsal. Um. And I. I. The actors mentioned a couple times people, uh, detouring things, but. Usually by accident, there was, like, one person that did, seemed like they were detouring on purpose. But they were doing so in a very grounded way. In rehearsal, there was someone who tried to, you know, detour in, like, very obvious ways. One of my practice audience members I brought in was, like, you should kill your wife and things like that. And, was like, like, you... You let the cat out, or things yeah. like that, so it was interesting. Yeah,
0: block, good old blocking, you know, yeah, exactly. It's like, Oh, this we're on a spaceship, I don't know what you're talking about. Lunch, we're yeah. not getting lunch, we got to captain this spaceship. It's like, Oh boy,
1: yeah, so, um, so basically, though,
0: entertain me, monkey. I want to oh do a gosh, spaceship scene.
1: I sound, I'm, I'm that, I'm that peppy person. I'm yeah. saying, so basically, oh my god, um, <laughs> so basically, though, <laughs> um. No, um, we in general didn't have um, that many people uh, detracting. There were some people that just, you know, were very headstrong with the scene and they they pushed very hard. And sometimes my actors didn't like that. And I, I said, that's all with the territory. You have to take it and go with it. I love that people are doing that let them it's how they want to experience the the scene that's how they're going to experience the scene and but i mean everyone who did it enjoyed themselves and the actors definitely it's a good exercise for them to have someone that's pushy with what they want as a character in the scene
0: what if you if you if you remount what would you do what lesson have you picked up that you would you would do differently
1: i would re- I, I, we need to rehearse more um just because um the actors are so into their characters when the show's going on that i mean there's there's lots of tensions that run when i try and give them notes between performances when there's like 15 minutes between each show. And so, like, tensions run high because they're in their characters. And I don't want to derail it, but, like, if something goes wrong with the choreography or things like that, I just worry for about audience members that come back a second time having a different experience um, than they want. Like, or having the same experience because if they sit in a different chair and the actors are all standing in the wrong place, that's, like, going to maybe make it so that they have – see a scene that they've already seen when they come intending to see a different scene oh is
0: that something that happened like you had, you had yeah like, we you had, had, had actors
1: scene. actually sit in the wrong seats and things like that so yeah. i worry about that and like i stress the actors out and then like because they're already in their characters like tensions would fly and i felt really bad about that and i felt like So that was stressful. And also just um, as the show went on, there were certain actors that got very into taking liberties with their characters. And, like, it was fine. It was fun. But I want to make sure that, like, it has some control to the chaos because I don't want it to completely run away with itself. Because there's
0: there's this tension here between what you're writing, writing and, and what's yeah. being
1: improvised. Cause yeah. as the show went on, like one of my actors just got really into like adding like they, like he'd, he'd have an, an, a moment with an audience member that he really loved and like tr- an, one show. And he'd want to incorporate that into every single show after that. Interesting. And things like that, which I think is interesting, which yeah. I like when that's contained. I like when, um and we've all discussed this at me and my actors we decided to have time like if something someone says something at the beginning of the show when you're interacting with them and it works that can fit for the rest of the storyline incorporate it so like if they endow a friend with a name like they're like oh i was at jill's house like you are at liberty to bring jill into the universe for the rest of the Right. In
0: in the hopes that when people leave, leave and they
1: discuss together, there'll be continuity. There'll, there'll be continuity exactly. Yeah. So, um, which I I love that that happens. Sometimes it's so fun when that happens. Um, but it's like one of those things where we need to really pin that down because I. I love that this is a collaborative process in creating these characters. But once the characters were created, I really want it to stay structurally on the tracks just so that um, I can make it so that the audience members have the intended experience. Right. And that the audience, because um, otherwise it's just a fun improv acting exercise, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, like I, I don't. No, I think
0: I think you're I think you're dead on to something there because like the, the the core, the way I see it, the core of what separates immersive, including like the subset of interactive, from uh, a regular piece of, of theater or, or a regular film or, or or whatever, is that the creators are designing for the experience of. The audience member, Mm -hmm. and and as much as possible is done to guide a person through uh, an arc, almost as if they were themselves a character. Yeah. So so like I mean, the big thing I wondered coming out was you know how how much of what you were working on was what experience you were intending me to have? Yeah. As opposed to wanting me to just piece together the puzzle, because the puzzle's fun.
1: The puzzle's really fun. But
0: there's but there is this layer here of 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 an emotional journey, which which is something that, you know, actors get to have in, in, in their arcs. But yeah. but you too are kind of an actor. Um but not tied but the interesting thing is but not tied to a specific character, which yeah. is where it gets really fascinating. It's like, oh, it's not like I'm Joe who's going through this emotional process. It's like I'm eight different people, just like these eight different people are eight different people. But there's there's a continuity of experience.
1: Yeah, it's really it's really hard. It was like I was so scared to do this project because it seems so hard. But that's why I wanted to do it. I like to do things that are overreaching in their ambition a lot of the time. And so, I feel like I either will crash and burn or it will be spectacular. And I hope I hope that this was spectacular. I definitely did not crash and burn. It definitely was a very astounding success. And I'm very proud of all my actors. I'm really happy that they dealt with me be like going from this is a collaborative experience in creating these characters and being like, I need to have some control here, please. Um, And I'm really glad that audience members had such intense emotional reactions. That was the intent. And I'm like very astounded that everyone got it. My dad came from out town to see it and he saw, he sat in two different seats and he experienced it twice and um, he got it. He loved it. He has not really done any ex- interactive theater other than, like, haunted houses. Um, so it's, it's great that that was able to happen. I just hope that I can, like, perfect this piece. But I feel like this is a piece that can never necessarily be perfect. Um, But what I like about this piece is that as it evolves, I can do it multiple times throughout my lifetime and be able to have it be something completely new for me by using a different set of eight actors. And it would have to be, I have to go through that writing process again with crazy deadlines where I give myself a week to write three to four, Uh, character stories and have, like, actors like Rimey being like, we're getting really close to rehearsal. Are you going to have all those pages for me? I'm like, I'm like, I'm trying. I'm trying. (laughs) Um, Because, you know, it's one of those things where, although I'm like giving each, I'm essentially giving each actor um, the way we did it is, like, each actor had, like, maybe one or two practice scenes we'd done earlier in rehearsal, but then they came up and they had their entire um, storyline then given to them at once. Uh, And then we did three to four actors at a time um, Mm. with their entire storylines. So what ended up happening or two to three actors, we did one set of two, two sets of three at a time going through their entire storylines with everyone. And when we did, so I, so I basically in a week would write, 16 to 24 pages worth of content that were more than just like scene and stage direction they were like the paragraph outlining and this so I basically created two to three storylines and 16 to 24 pages of content each week for the actors while also working my job and like coming up with it and Usually turning it into the actors like the day before or the afternoon of rehearsal, I like just being like here, just read through this. You can have it's okay. You can have pages out in rehearsal, but it just I got this to you as quickly as I could emotionally without losing my sanity. Well, it's
0: friendship. That's 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 part of the part of the fun. Yeah, the and I
1: it. yeah, and I cast everyone in the beginning of March I went out of town for two weeks and then I came back and I just started meeting with them and after like a month and a half developing like characters I came back from photographing Coachella and then we just started on rehearsals and kept rehearsing from like for like month. month be- before we brought we were only rehearsing for like a month before we brought in practice audience members and then after that we had French. <laughs> it, felt, it felt very fast.
0: So you're looking at hoping to remount in the fall? Yeah. And then uh, got, are other ideas kind of percolating in your head I have, here?
1: I always have a lot of ideas. Um, I am working on uh, interactive theater-wise. I have a few ideas. The most feasible one right now is um, an audio walking tour of hollywood um Mm. but instead of taking you to um places that a tourist would find interesting it takes you to all the significant moments in a couple's relationship and at some of the places you end up you will actually see actors enacting those and other ones you'll have some sort of like sensory treasure hunt in that like um, you might go to a coffee shop and sit down and you'll be listening to these people order their coffee and you'll be candid one of their orders and you'll be just sit down and drink it while it's happening and like if you go to a record store you'll find like a note in between records and things like that and then there'll be things though that actually are being acted out like you'll see where they met each other and other things would just be Audio from like conversations or audio from what inner monologues and thoughts are, and so uh, hopefully, I can figure out a way to do that logistically. But to me, logistically, it's just that producing that is a lot easier writing wise than this was to write, even though it's um, a lot harder logistically, just like figuring out you know, being able to do that. But I feel like writing wise. Writing the content for that is a lot more straightforward. It's a lot closer to writing a straight play. Um, but it's, it's, it's interesting because that is also something with really grounded characters. And getting to know you is also something with extremely grounded characters. And when I write a normal play, it's a lot more surrealist in storyline and nature even though it's much more straightforward type play, so the stri- structurally it's much more straightforward. So, I kind of the more out there I get in structure, the more grounded I think the characters become. I guess and yeah. the more structurally straightforward I have, the more um, out there the characters get.
0: Um, that makes it makes a kind of sense because like you need you need something for an audience to kind of hook in and, and be grounded on. And the thing about interactives and immersives is, is that I mean, granted, some of the well, some of the most famous ones have this surreal sensibility to mm-hmm. them, but at the same time they're drawing from really well known stories. Yeah. So it's almost like if if the old joke about Hollywood is like fast, cheap, or good, pick two. With immersive it almost feels like original, fantastical, um, or traditional like you can have you must like pick two of those or something like that yeah it's like you you can have an original story but if you're going to have an original story and a and a a strange structure you better have something that's really grounded and not fantastical but if you want to have a strange structure and you pick like an unoriginal story you can go ahead and do something that's really magical because people have a touchstone that they can then Mm-hmm. go after. But if you were to completely unanchor someone like, oh I'm gonna tell a brand new story that's like this magical fable and it's gonna be in this structure that no one's ever seen before, it's it's just like, wow, well, okay, I'm taking a trip through your imagination and yeah. I have no idea where I am. Yeah. Like I've got no I've got no um I've got no psychopomp to yeah. use like the psychological term. There's there's no nothing guiding me through this this world. Yeah. That I can there's no Ariadne thread to hold on to. Yeah. Um so it's gotta be one of those. That makes yeah. sense to me.
1: Yeah, but um, actually I have like, um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, and so then other than that, I really want to mount at some point in production of this play I wrote a while ago, but that's just a straight play, but it's um, about a man who finds out his daughter's lactose intolerant when she's in kindergarten and so he starts buying milk substitutes and milk and he notices that the price rising for milk is rising faster than the price of substitutes and he starts to decide he decides that the dairy industry is the reason that his daughter is aging faster than he feels she should be in time relatively with her is slipping away from him and so he ends up wasting even more of his time with her precious childhood going after the dairy industry to get back the moments that he feels he lost with her so i want to mount that at some point i'm trying to get together enough for just like a reading and and then i also want to take a play i wrote a while ago which is based in japanese traditional theater that's um, I wrote my own like little Japanese ghost story um, and then and I just structurally based it on Japanese theater I'd never read a Japanese ghost story before but I'm guessing that things pacing wise are similar throughout Japanese art because someone who'd read a lot of Japanese ghost stories was like this is dead on the money for a Japanese ghost story and <laughs> I was like oh okay good <laughs> um good <laughs> uh, good um and I didn't intend it to be a Japanese ghost story just kind of came that way it was like I it's an exploration of like teen suicide through as told through um this forest where a bunch of Japanese people commit suicide or people in general it's the number two suicide destination in the world um but I really when I wrote it originally I incorporated a lot of also contemporary Japanese dance movements in it and like had people's deaths like involved dancing and choreography and throughout my script I also just kept writing in the stage directions that the trees get closer and the trees get closer and the trees get closer, like suffocating the stage, like making the um like what you see as part of the stage. And so I really would keep thinking how cool it would be to now in a production of that, get an actual Japanese director to rewrite it with me so that I make sure it is completely true to Japanese traditional theater structure. Um, and do all the edits that need to be edited to make it perfect and then be able to actually mount it and have the trees not only condense on stage but to have the trees in the audience and have those be able to get closer and closer to the audience members. And then this other thing, I feel like that it's not feasible but I feel like we could also possibly have dirt on the ground and require people to take off their shoes so their feet will be in the dirt while they're watching the play.
0: So, so then, n- not not technically ambitious or anything.
1: So, no. No.
0: Not, not but I feel least. like
1: that would be so cool. But I don't know. I don't know if it's even like, it's it, like this draft of the play is not good enough to mount yet. I'd want to like make sure I edited it and make sure it was really as close to Japanese theater structure as possible. And I would be able to find like choreographers that could choreograph really true to the like Japanese contemporary dance movements um but yeah sorry <laughs> it's, okay.
0: it's okay um we've we've we've
1: yeah
0: bit at this for for a, a hot minute um, <laughs> oh, sorry no, no it's okay it's okay uh just not not the not the longest one not the longest one by by a reach actually uh people are are if they want to track you down and yeah want to find you Uh, How can they do that out in the grand uh, web of the world?
1: Um, Okay, so I um, update my Instagram the most is probably the easiest way to find me there is is at Annie Lesser, which is my name. I'm a freelance photographer, so I'm constantly posting photos of projects that I'm working on um, as a photographer, but then I'm also... Whenever I work on a theater piece, I'm always taking pictures behind the scenes or editing stuff that my, um, actors are doing. Uh, I did all the artwork for, for getting to know you. Um, so that's a good place to find me. Um, if you go on Facebook, getting to know you has a Facebook page. It's like facebook.com slash getting to know you show, um, and then, Getting to Know You also has an Instagram, which is Getting to Know You Show. I have a Twitter, which is Annie Lesser, although I don't update that as much as I should. And then, I also have on Facebook my personal studio production page for my photography and my writing, which is A Lesser Studio, um, A as a the word A Lesser L E S S E R Studio. I think you know how to spell Studio. <laughs> And um, also my website is www.annielesser.com. That is more for portfolio and booking purposes. But if you'd like to book me to write something for you or to take photos for you, that is a great way to get in contact with me. There's an email me section on there and all that good stuff.
0: All right. Well, we'll keep an eye out for the remount getting Mm -hmm. to know you and uh and yeah we should we should talk about the that audio design actually that that reminds me of a few things that i've always been thinking about but we can we can do that offline okay no pro super fans you are here with me at the end of the show and indeed um i told you we were gonna get wonky and we definitely got wonky we dug in deep on that show uh and i'm i'm for one i'm glad we did i was just listening back to the intro uh, or part of it just to check the levels and I heard myself say the word creative. Uh, yeah you know I'm not I'm not a giant fan of that word myself. So if you blanch a little bit when you heard it, I uh, just realized you know my day job involves a lot of uh, tech talk so it just seeps in there, gets in oh gets in all the places you don't want it to get into. Okay, uh, we have a show next week and we're gonna be recording that tomorrow. I'm quite excited about that. We're gonna talk about, haunts and escape rooms with a couple of special guests and then uh, if all works as i have foreseen hopefully the week after or so uh, it'll be zay and me uh talking about what makes no itself tick like like how we put together the newsletter and i don't mean like how to use mailchimp it's not a tutorial it's going to be about what makes the cut uh, so if you're a producer and you're trying to figure out what's in our crazy brains and why we like some things and we don't and all that kind of junk, uh, that's going to be the one to decode it. In the meantime, here's how you can find us. No Priscinium is at No Priscinium on Twitter. There's a medium collection at medium.com slash no dash There's the Patreon to support this podcast at patreon.com slash no There's a Facebook page. You know what to look for. It gets tedious after a while. Uh, And as always, all your tips and tricks and your hints and show announcements should go to no underscore proscenium at outlook.com. That's how you do it. That's how it's done. This show is made possible by the generous support of those Patreon backers I just mentioned. Uh, Consider uh, becoming one. Uh, we could uh, we could you know, use the help and uh, I really want to make this show sound better uh, than it does right now. Or maybe uh, you just like how it sounds. Uh, uh, maybe you have no problems. You're not an audiophile like I am and uh, it doesn't drive you nuts. Then again, I'm driven nuts by the sound of my own voice. So uh, professional hazard. That's it. I've talked too long. Uh, you guys have a great week. I will catch you on the other side. Um, indeed, until next time. I'll see you at the show.